0: we proudly present the Beatles! Yeah, the, the reason I became a was I loved rock and roll and I was helping uh, a fan club, the Blue Diamond Fan Club, Skiffle Group. As you know, there were 600 Skiffle Groups in Liverpool at one time. And when the Skiffle Boom ended, that 600 Skiffle Groups turned into 300 rock groups. Because once they'd got it under the skin, the kids in Liverpool, that was it, they were, they were hooked, you know. So really I was a rock and roll fan, masquerading as a, as a promoter. But I started in 57 running the, this, the attic. Then I did Moskway, then I went on to St. George's Hall and then I started running the Casanova Club, well it was a new club and I needed a new band, you know I had a couple of bands but I needed a new band. A friend of mine said the Beatles had come back from Hamburg and it's unbelievable. So I went to see them at a terrible place called Hambleton Hall in Heighton and it was like, it was like a war zone. Terrible. I was scared going in there. There was gang fighting outside, terrible, you know. So I was about to go, and it was a smelly, horrible hole. You couldn't believe how bad it was. And um, then I heard the William Tell Overture. I thought, what, what are they wasting classical music on this gang for? And then Bob Waters' voice, it's the Beatles. The curtains fell apart. Well, he was decomposing anyway. And there they were, five black leather cat figures, the Beatles. They had Stuart with them. then. John started with slow down. And the sound was unbelievable. You know, it just went right through you. It seemed to reverberate around the room, you know. The fighting stopped and they were all watching, they weren't dancing. They were looking at the Beatles, you know, which is that was a phenomenon in itself. Anyway, then Paul came in, I think, with hippie hippie shake. Then George did Henry VIII. Stuart did um, Wooden Heart. And he had his back to the audience half the time, I never knew why. i to tell you why later. And then Pete Best did Matchbox. Well, by this time, I was absolutely hooked. I felt a bit like Glenn Miller when he found his sound. I thought I found my sound, you know. And when it, when it was all over, I followed him into the dressing room, which is the ladies toilet converted. They lived in style then. And the bouncers, Bob wanted to put the bouncers round the door to keep promoters like me from going in there, you know. <coughs> so the bouncers were working for me, half of them, the following week at my new club. So they let me in, and I walked right in behind John and Paul. And the first thing I said to him I said, you know what, lads, one day you're going to be as big as Elvis. Lennon looked at me like I was mental. I said we can't write nothing here, Paul. <laughs> Paul laughed. Said, yeah, but he's got a new club and he, have you got some work for us, Mr. Leach, Mr. Leach. <laughs> and I gave him twelve bookings that first night. At eight pounds each booking. Which was a lot of money then. You know. And that's about two gigs. I put I put it up to ten, you know. Um so that was it, that began a two and a half year roller coaster ride. Through rock and roll history, you know. And it was good fun I must admit. Then the first night they played for me was probably one of the most embarrassing nights of my life. Um, I noticed that Stuart always had his back to the audience and I never realised why. He couldn't play the guitar at all. Hardly. Yet. So <clears throat> this particular night they're doing an instrumental, uh, match, uh Moonglow. And George is coming to the hard part, you know, and he's got biting his lip, you know. And I noticed uh, an amp wasn't connected. So being the professional, I plugged it in. But it was Stuart's amp and he's bashing the guitar, making no noise. Well, all of a sudden, the noise that came out was like 10 cats getting run over by a lorry, which then reversed back over them. Well, the town was terrible. it was like this, you know. Stu felt embarrassed, So did I. Paul leapt across the stage. He said, you yanked the plug out. He said, you fool, not you, you know he can't play. Well, that would have been okay, except that came out over the public address system. Everybody in the club heard it. So I thought about that big, you know. <laughs> he still wouldn't speak to me for weeks. But he never said much anyway. <laughs> Epstein came along. The first time Epstein came in the scene, I'd take him to Aldershot. The idea of Aldershot was to get promoters in London seeing the Beatles because at that time I was hoping to manage them you know and Bob would admit that I was the only other one besides Epstein that had any viable plans to manage the Beatles. Anyway we got down to Aldershot, the advert hadn't gone in, 18 people turned up, we had to go around the pubs getting people in you know so that was a flop and that was what made the Beatles decide to go with Epstein because they thought that might not happen with him you know even though they were getting like thousands on the Friday, you got 18 on the Saturday, so. <clears throat> anyway, um, next thing I heard, Paul and John wanted to see me. And I went down to, to here, Grapes. This is our meeting place, you know. And they said, we've got a millionaire that wants to manage us. We know we've got a, an agreement with you, a handshake agreement. But Sammy's a millionaire. That's McCartney's to me, you know. Go and have a word with them for us. Tell, tell us what you think. So, the following day, I went to see Epstein in his office room in, in uh, Whitechapel. I thought, he's too green to manage the Beatles, you know, but he was green. But I thought, he had the money and he was keen. So I thought, I think he probably will do it, you know. So I shook hands and I went back to the grapes. And halfway back, I thought, why should I tell them he's the man? I'll just tell them he's no good for them. But when I walked in here, and they looked up at me, trusting eyes, you know. I just couldn't, I said to him, I think i will make it with him. They remember me when you're famous. And John said, um, you'll be with us, sir. Well, as John wrote, life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans. It never happened. Because Epstein didn't want anybody else mentioned that knew the Beatles before, before he did, you know, which is the way it was. And the Calvin didn't want to mention me because they knew the truth that the real reason it started the whole thing was because of what I'd done at the Ando. So, Epstein didn't want it mentioned because he wanted people to think that he'd discovered them. That's why he cut Mrs. Best out as well, you know. So. Okay, well, I think that's it, is it, for yeah. now? very good. Hope it came out all right. Yeah. Okay. Thanks very much. Okay. All right, watch yeah. Let's right, <laughs> nice man.